0: Today, we have Sridhar Saniti on the show. Are you looking for a way to deploy your money more efficiently and effectively? Sridhar has been solving difficult problems in the IT space for major corporations for years. He took that expertise and his relationships and matched the capital that people had with attractive multifamily investments. He's created a win-win situation for everyone involved in the process. Tredar created an astounding 11,000-unit multifamily portfolio. Listen and learn. Before we jump into the intro, look, are you afraid to start investing in real estate? I was also when I started, so I wrote a book called Why Not You?, to help you push past the fear, you can find it on Amazon by searching my name. On to the intro.
1: Welcome to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show. Each week, you will learn how to grow your wealth through real estate investing, be introduced to the players that are getting it done, and learn how you can get involved. And now, here's your host, Darren Batchelder.
0: A little background on Sridhar before we start the show. Sridhar still works his ITW2 job even while building an 11,000-unit multifamily portfolio. He tends to team up with partners that handle the day-to-day asset management. When asked about advice he would give others, he shares that going bigger is actually easier. And when planning for CapEx... Make sure to plan for the unknowns. Now, onto the show. Hello, everyone. Today, we have a very special guest. We've got Sridhar Sanidi. Sridhar, I appreciate you coming on the show.
1: Thank you, Darren. Thanks
0: for having me on the show. Absolutely. So a little bit on how we know each other, and then uh, we'll jump into it. So we're, we're both part of the same multifamily mentorship group, the Brad Sumrock Group out of, out of Dallas. And I met Sridhar many years ago, several yep. years ago, and he's just been killing it, killing it, killing it. And so I'm interested in finding out how he's doing it. And um, so with that, can you share the um, how many properties and how many units you're currently invested in?
1: Sure. Um, uh, hello, uh, good morning, listeners. Um, I, I have known Daring for a while now. Uh, since I met him, um, I think we met each other when I really started this one, uh, the multifamily journey. And since then, I have invested in 38 properties as a passive investor. 38
0: properties, holy cow. Yeah,
1: 11,000 units okay, as a part owner, and which includes um, uh, close to 3,500 plus units as sponsors. Some of them have done full cycles. At the moment, I'm a GP in twenty seven hundred plus units, and currently in fifteen
0: deals. It's it's crazy. So share with the listeners, like what it, what's your background? What did, what did you do before you started getting involved?
1: Sure, I'm an IT professional, like many uh, Asians, right? Uh, I'm an IT professional. I came to this country, worked in uh, Silicon Valley, worked in Wall Street, and now I'm in Dallas. My proplex area, working for a large technology company. Do um,
0: so you still? You're still working for a technology company yes, now.
1: Yes, I still have my W two job. Okay, so
0: that's you have a lot of properties to still have your W two job. Yes, uh, that is the question I get
1: from many of the listeners and many yeah. people who may- meet me first time. Um, just to give you a background, I was in Wall Street, so I used to commute two hours each way. And used to Holy work cow. for 11 where, hours. Where, where, in the where of, did you
0: live? I'm originally from Connecticut, so. I, I lived in uh, New Jersey. New Jersey. Uh, Central New
1: Jersey. Edison, New Jersey. I lived in Edison, New Jersey. Uh, I used to do a two-hour commute each way.
0: Drive so, to uh, the train, get yep. on a train, go in, and then have to walk from the tra- train to, the, to a big, huge skyscraper, yes?
1: Yes, that ah. is correct. Nice. Yeah. It's a very, very mechanical process, right? To get into the train and you drive to the parks, I mean, train station, park the car, uh, run and catch the train just to minimize the uh, overall travel time.
0: I've done that. And and then you get out of the train and you're going up the escalator, you know, out to the street and you just feel like, you know, cattle, right? I mean, you're just, you're just, getting pushed along like everybody else. Um, So why are you still working? That's a good question. So so I was
1: uh, working in Wall Street. I was busy, but I always wanted to do something uh, uh, on the side. Uh, I always had that business uh, uh, interest, so entrepreneurship interest. I was uh, initially trying to build IT companies and then uh, some of them went to a level and then finally I had to drop because of my busy schedules in uh, workplace. And then I thought that I should change that routine. So then I first thing I did is I relocated to Dallas to free up my time so that uh, to that original question how I am doing both, so the two plus two hour, four hour commute time I cut down. And also from uh, eleven hour workday to eight and a half hour workday, so literally, literally I I freed up more than five and a half hour, six hour time in a day. So that is my in time investment for the real estate. So, uh, so you're still working
0: it, the eleven twelve hours, but but eight hours or eight and a half hours at your W two job, and then you've got four or five hours that you saved in yes. the commute and and working longer hours that you can allocate to the real estate.
1: Exactly. Exactly. You're right. So that four the five hours, so in, you know, in a multifamily syndication, you can play different roles, right? So I try not to be in the asset management role, which requires during the day, you need to call the property managers and keep track of all the KPAs and all that, right? So I try to be on the remaining portion of it, right? Uh, finding the deal, which I can be, which I can do after hours, um, and also, fundraising and the remaining functions of asset management investor relations etc cetera, etc cetera. so I prefer to be in that part so that way it won't affect my day-to-day job
0: well so you must like what you do huh? you must like what you do in IT if you're if you're still there after investing in 11,000 units I mean
1: uh, yes and um, so I'm um, I'm um, planning for that exit soon. so Oh, you are, planning for,
0: you are planning for the <laughs> exit. Do yeah. they know that?
1: <laughs> we are recording Not this. Not <laughs> yet, but I'm <laughs> going to. Originally, I, I'm planning to exit by next September, but it uh, looks like I need to pre pone that uh, thanks to multifamily investing. So now financially, that's one thing that usually people are afraid of right, once you Exit from the job. How are you going to manage your income and all that? So that thanks to multifamily, that has been taken care of. I'm financially independent from that point of view. Uh, only thing is the passion. Uh, I've been working in IT. you got rest- this
0: like smile that like, I'm just financially independent. Like, you know, like <laughs> there, there is a, an ease that comes, you know, I yeah. see it with people that all of a sudden, you know, they're doing things that it, not because they have to. But because they enjoy it and, you know, there's, I think there's a little bit of the the hunt, you know, for the deals and and, um, the excitement. And look, a lot of us played sports when we were younger. And like, look, business is kind of like a sport. I mean, you you can do it because you have to put money on the table, put, put food on the table, but you, after a certain level, you know, that's covered. Yes. And then it's becomes more of a, you know just pushing yourself in competition
1: yeah at work uh, i'm uh, my role, main role is uh, is like a technical advisor to the senior executives so i go to different companies and try to solve their problems and help them transform into latest technologies so that that is kind of fun job for me solving the problems so and, so helping uh, the businesses grow so that's the same skill set here in multifamily you can use right so that, that's Yeah, that's funny.
0: Um I you know my bit first business partner was Raj Gupta and I don't I don't know if you are I know with him. He's you know a good friend of mine, yeah. Okay, good. He's a good guy. Um but when I first got involved he was like, Darren, man, this business is all about solving problems." Yes. And and I didn't really get it at first. You know, I'm like, "It's real estate. It's buy- you're buying real estate, you're collecting rent, and you're paying bills. Like how how is that a big problem so But I've seen it. You know, I've seen it on deals that I'm in as a passive. I'm, I've seen it on deals that I'm in as a general partner. Um, it's definitely a problem-solving um, type of uh, asset class to be a part of.
1: Yeah, I agree with you 100%. So you, you take each role from an investor point of view. There are so many people who have money and they don't know how to diversify or how to um, better deploy that uh, fund resource to get uh, decent returns in the long run. So that is one thing. And uh, another thing is a lot of these high net worth individuals, they have tax obligations. When, you, when they invest in stocks, bonds, then the tax brackets go up and they pay even more taxes. So when I start talking to them in a different uh, um, approach, right, our alternative investment, they really get excited. The other day I was talking to some gentleman and then he said, uh, with those suggestions, uh, even his own CPA did not give him that thought process. Once I asked him to think in that line, now he says that he's going to save millions of dollars on taxes.
0: I mean, that's crazy, right? I mean, one one discussion with you and this person can save millions of dollars that, yes. and and they may have been using the same CPA for years exactly but that, but that CPA doesn't understand the, yep. the benefit and because they don't understand it they don't you know present it to their clients
1: yeah agreed 100% and now he said the next question obviously they asked for like what about the la- the taxes I already filed they said You know, you can uh, revise the previous year taxes, right? Now he's working on with the new CPA and revising those taxes.
0: So So talk to me about that piece, because I I really haven't had many people talk about that. Are you referring to, say, let's just say 2022, somebody has a lot of depreciation expense and more than they can use they can go back to 2021 and offset it against previous income?
1: Yes. In this particular case, what happened is uh, he has been investing with me passively. He's getting K-1s. And then uh, he has the income from other of his real estate investment, like passive income is coming in. But at the moment, uh, the CPA is showing it in the... A normal income type right, situation, and he's not taking advantage of the accelerated depreciation loss. Uh, and this gentleman is a very high net worth individual, and he's, he pays a lot of taxes. So when we, we had that uh, discussion, back up and napkin type of discussion, he looked sure. at his numbers and he said. Oh my god uh, I can uh, revisit my last year taxes and then I can so get So this a is somebody
0: that that had invested with you in the prior year yes. had had some carry forward um, losses losses yep. and he can actually apply that to income in that year yep. but um what I was wondering was can you actually go back if if it's if there're losses from say 2022 can you go back and offset that against 2021 income?
1: No, no, not from 2022. He he got uh, K1 losses in 2021, in 2021. Itself, which he did not So, okay. that so they were the same year. Yep.
0: Which he, he just wasn't taking advantage year. of it. You got me really excited because I was like, holy cow, that's a whole nother world if you can go backwards too, right? Yeah, so, enough. Um but yeah, that's huge. So where, uh, where do you find, you know, you're doing big deals. So talk about the size of, your, of the deals and talk about, you know, who are the typical investors that are investing in these deals?
1: Sure. So when I started this multifamily syndication, my very first deal was 96 units. Immediately, I realized that the smaller the property, uh, the more uh, tighter ship you need to navigate, Right the larger the property, more easier, you will have more freedom on several grounds. Let's say if you have a hundred unit, and if you want to do a massive marketing uh, for new tenants, right? You are limited by the budget. At the same time, if you go with a little bigger property, right, uh, 200 plus units or something of that nature, then you have a bigger budget to play with and you can easily attract new tenants uh, because the budgets are low. Um To my point, like basically economies of scale, play very well. So that's why my range of, uh, property size is like from 200 units, to 1,000 units. That's what I pursue a
0: thousand. Your yeah. largest one was a thousand units.
1: Yeah. 200, 200 units, to thousand. That's what I tell brokers to share the deals with me. But the bigger the deal, the more conservative I become because I don't want uh, <laughs> <laughs> anything to wipe off credit.
0: What, what, what is the largest property that you purchased?
1: So far, it's a 419 unit.
0: 419 units. Yeah. So a lot of people have said what you just said, you know, larger a lot of times is easier. Yep. But there's a lot of people that just can't wrap their heads around it. There's a lot of people that their mind won't let them go there. That believes that that's for somebody else. I'm not, I don't, I'm not worthy I'm not, I don't have the value. I don't have the understanding um, to do that. You know, I really need to start with something way, way, way much smaller and then, and then build up from there.
1: So uh, that is uh, true for some people, but when you are in a good ecosystem, when you find the uh, right partners, the size doesn't matter. That's what I learned. So even if we have 400 units, since I'm part of a good mentoring ecosystem, right? So uh, I do find partners who can support me when I have to show larger net worth. I I do have partners who can show the larger net worth. And I do have a, a successful businessman who can handhold me from the business point of view, if I feel that I need some help, all those, um, factors really, really help. Um, and another thing is when you go with a bigger one, you do have, um, a professional management company who can manage this property easily. And when there is uh, fluctuations, right, in uh, expenses and all, you can manage it well. For example, a 400-unit property, uh, typically you will have like four plus four, plus four means uh, four people in the office, four people outside. And let's say if the economy slows down like this, we can run the show with three plus three. So that uh, three one plus one uh, reduction will really, really smoothen out your operational expenses. And temporarily, if there is any... High volume of work orders, high volume of other managed um, maintenance activities. You can um, hire a temporary worker for a couple of weeks and make sure that the property is not impacted by a little bit of downsizing. So that kind of flexibility is there with the large properties. If it is a ninety-six, usually you go with uh, one uh, in the office and one in the outside. Then right. you have to bear the expense. So
0: right, no, that's that's a great point and. Yep. Um, and, and the flexibility, you mentioned, you know, hiring temporary, you know, if you need to. And, but you also can leverage the relationship with your property management company. So, you know, you could end up having, you know, a maintenance guy leave another property for a week or two and then come yep. over. And, yep. and so they know that the, the maintenance guy is a good guy or the yep. leasing person is, is strong yep and you could borrow them for a few weeks and and then they go back to the property that they were originally working at yep that's true so let- let me ask you this because um I heard this from another sponsor at one point. I was asking about um you know size of deals and mm-hmm. you know what his his take on it was, and one thing he mentioned was. When he got up to three, four hundred units, that people living that many people living that close together, there ended up being more friction within the tenants on the property. So I, you know, I guess that also depends on how dense populated the, the apartment complex is, you know, yep. compared to, you could have 400 units spread out over a really large property, or you could have 400 units, you know, that are really highly condensed. So what's your experience there?
1: So uh, th- that's a very good point. So that's why we pursue mostly garden style apartments. So in garden style apartments, uh, most of the township allow like 15 to 25 units per acre. Uh, Nowadays, mostly it is on the smaller side. They want to maintain that uh, spaciousness of the property, right? I mean, the spaciousness between the building, like open space between the buildings. Um, So that's why we prefer garden style. If it is uh, vertically built, obviously the density will come into play. So once you have um, the buildings spread across, I think that friction would be less. And also we make sure that we have enough um, parking ratios So most of the frictions happen the fa- parking place, right? Right, right. So we, we make sure that whatever properties we buy, we have at least one and a half times to two times the number of units as parking spaces.
0: That makes sense. Yep. What about um, today we're in an interesting environment, right? Interest rates have gone up dramatically in in the last year. Um, Do you look at that like that's opportunity right now or opportunity coming? Or do you look at it like, you know, it's making deals harder to pencil?
1: Definitely deals are harder to pencil, but for me, it is an opportunity to buy. So I am uh, aggressively pursuing units. So usually my target is to buy 1,000 units. In 2023, I'm targeting to buy 2,000 units. So, oh, wow. doubling. So, finance wise, like if the interest rates are high, right, tomorrow we can refinance it after a year or year and a half if the terms of the current loan are good to exit and then refinance. So, that, that is an easy problem. But the property values, uh, because of the high interest rate, they suppress, right? They go down. So, th- that is not negotiable when the market is really, really hard. So I want to take advantage of the property price and then refinance it later um, to a decent price. Uh, half, even if the interest rate goes down, the property value automatically goes up because net NOI uh, increases, right? By fall when the, and the amounts, if we go with the variable interest rate, with the high interest rates, right? And when the uh, interest rate goes down in the variable nature, right? Then we will have more annoying, and that in turn will give uh, top dollar for the property and is easy to exit. That's so fin-
0: finance-wise, you're, you're looking to, to, even at the higher rates that we're at now, you're looking to put on floating rate debt? Some,
1: if the deal works in a floating rate, yes. Otherwise, uh, the fixed rate. So uh, we see if it floating rate is becoming more expensive because, you know, when uh, the rate starts going up, uh, the cap rate. Um, insurance cap for the rate hike is, was very high, so that's when we switch to fixed. But once they come to moderate levels, then we will switch to variable interest rate.
0: So, for the listeners' benefit, you know what he's talking about here is like, look, he there's going to be some folks that are going to be, you know, in, if they want to sell, they're going to have to negotiate. You know, there's just not as many buyers that are lining up right now. And so with that, he wants to take advantage of that opportunity, and then he owns the asset. And then if interest rates are to go down, let's assume, I mean, all the talk is that 2023 is gonna be a recession. Um, you know, Typically in a recession, the Fed turns around and starts dropping rates to stimulate the economy. If that happens, then he can refinance to lower interest rates, or if he's in a floating rate loan, it'll automatically adjust lower and then the NOI will go up. So it works very well to lock up a deal and then if rates go, go back the other way, it's an advantage. Now there is a risk, right? And, and yep. I want to get your take on this. Although everyone's saying that it's going to go the other way, what happens if inflation stays hot and rates keep going up?
1: Yeah, that's a very good point. But when you underwrite the deal, right, typical uh, deal cycle is three to five years, whole period, right? Historically, um, the longest uh, recession ever recorded was, uh, I think, 36 months or so during the Second World War timeframe. After that, uh, FED is interfering on this recession cycles and making it shorter. In recent days, uh, in recent years, it it is mostly like uh, nine months to like, Fifteen months range for most of the recessions. Uh, so, I, with that in mind, so when I do this thing, anyway, most of the lenders lock in the interest rate for a year, a year and a half. So I position in such a way that two years I should be able to refinance a deal. In two years, if I can push the net operating income a little bit higher, or um, improve the property and then push the rents higher whatever mechanism is doable in that particular deal, right? Adopt that and then increase the value and refinance it and move on. So if we're able to get the returns for the investors in two years, in this whole cycle, then just sell it and then move on to the next asset.
0: Yeah. Sure. Now, you know, for the listeners benefit that most loans that you get, on these larger multifamily deals, they, ha- they have a balloon structure. They're not 30-year fixed-rate loans, um, so they could be – there's a lot of loans out there that are structured as a 3 um, one a It's fixed for three years or it's floating for three years, and then there's two one-year extensions. There You can get with the agencies 5-, 7-, 10-, 12-year fixed-rate loans. Um, some banks will do up to five years typically. Um And, but there's always a balloon. And that means at some point the loan comes due and you have to either sell the property before that, or you have to refinance into new debt. And so that I believe is the biggest risk in these deals is that you're forced to either sell or refinance in a terrible economy. Yep. Um, and so you really want to make sure that your debt gives you enough running room enough flexibility to ride out the, the difficult times Agreed, agree 100 yep yeah. so what about the so your your w2 job you're you're going in and you're meeting with a lot of high level executives consulting on i from an it nature are some of those folks people that invest in these deals? Do you talk about what you do outside of your your W two?
1: Yes, a lot of my colleagues are invest my investors. Uh, I always uh, try to keep everything open, so even my boss knows what I do uh, when part time. So, so my philosophy is like as long as you're open and honest and. I'm not contradicting or violating company policies. I think I should be good. That, that's what my philosophy is. I'm maintaining that, so they appreciate it. So as long as uh, I'm doing my eight-hour job sincerely, right? So it, it is not a problem for the company. That's what uh, they, uh, my boss told me. So that's what I'm doing. So I've no, been, that's, uh, that's awesome. But, but it, uh,
0: and and from their standpoint, you know, that's the other thing about this business is that. You need to know somebody that's in the business or you don't get invited to the deals. Yes. You know, so I look, I've I've been around plenty of wealthy people, business owners that have money, but I didn't know until I got involved with this group and met people like yourself. I didn't know, you know, how to get into these types of deals. I didn't know that these types of deals were available. Um, So now your colleagues and and the clients that you work with yep. they have you know a, a door into that world where they can not only put all their money in the stock market but they can diversify and put it into real estate investments as well
1: yeah i agree 100 uh, percent and in general trend is people tight with one or two deals just uh, obviously they don't want to risk too much money after right. seeing the result on one deal or two deal then slowly I, they will increase it so Uh, My first deal, uh, I had only 20 investors. Of course, the raise was small. And now uh, I have like hundreds of investors. And in my database now, I have like uh, more than 2,000 investors. That's crazy. Yeah. And most of that grew organically. And people referred their friends and family members, etc., etc. That's how I grew. I am... I did not do massive uh, Facebook type of campaigns or anything like that until now. Now I'm thinking to extend the social media just for the reason that a few of my investors started mocking and some of them are very close friends. They started mocking at me and saying, that you're taking these big checks and you don't even have internet presence or Facebook presence or something like that. So I said, okay, I will start working on it and that's what we are doing
0: right now. You know what? I mean... You be you, right? I mean, you got to yep. do what what works for you. I know, I know some people that are heavy on the social media side. I I am on on social media, um, yep. but there's I know plenty of people that are not, and, and you know, and I I don't think that there's a right or a wrong way. They I talked to one uh, sponsor that, you know, talking about the referrals. He said kind of the same thing. What, had one guy in in one of his first deals that went told you know people and they tracked that they ended up getting nine other investors yep in future deals because of one person's positive experience yes and you know it's it's crazy the multiplier effect it can have and so this business is really i mean there's huge wealth opportunities but it's not a for the passive and also for the sponsor, it's not a get rich quick in, you know, 90 days. It's, you know, yep. years. Agreed, yeah. So when did you start investing in in the multifamily world? That 96-unit deal, what year was that?
1: Uh, 2018, we started, closed in January 2019.
0: You know, so that's, I mean, three years, that's not, you know, that's not that long to yep. have now have 2,000 investors. And, you know, most listeners probably understand this, but for the ones that don't, you know, the typical minimum investment on a deal like this is 50,000. So it could be 50,000, 75,000, 100,000, depending on the size of the deal. So, you know, it's quite a bit of capital for people to, to be, you know, involved with. So if you have 2,000 people that have the capacity to invest fifty, seventy-five, hundred thousand at any given point in time—that's um, you know you've you've built a good business and a good reputation with yep. those folks.
1: Definitely, yeah. It's a lot of hard work, and I, I attend multiple uh, real estate seminars and all that, so that helped me to grow to that level.
0: Yeah. So I think I think there's two two different paths, right? There's active and there's yep. passive. Yep. On the passive side, there, there's still work to be done, right? There, yep. there. You have to get out and meet people. You have to, you have to find people that are good quality sponsors that have a good reputation that you know, like and trust. Um, so that's the work that you have to do as a passive. Um, as an active, there's a lot more that's involved, and there's a ton of networking and underwriting and managing and you know, working with finance folks and brokers and yada, yada, yada. But the passive side, once they wire the funds, they pretty much don't have any more work until they get the check at when the property is sold, right? Yes, that is true. So for them, you know, the biggest decision point that they have to make is who am I going to invest with? And then what deals am I going to invest in with, with that person. And once those decisions are made, they really can go about their day to day life. And then just wait for, you know, an exit strategy to happen.
1: Agreed. Agreed to your earlier point, right? So that's what happens with some of my colleagues. They have the money, but they don't know where to deploy. Right. That's when, mm-hmm. uh, I, I go and meet them and say that this is another alternative you can look into. This is how you can plan it out. And then, in fact, that helped a lot of my colleagues already.
0: Yeah, I mean, and if you think about people that have excess money, it's like having excess time, right? You can get in trouble with excess time and excess money. So with excess money, they could be frivolous with it you know yep. buy buy some consumer goods that are they are not going to get any kind of return on they could yep. take a high flyer on some stocks that they don't really understand yep and but well, once you invest in one of these deals it's like you got that money working for you and you don't, you can't access it anymore so it's almost like it you lose liquidity compared to stocks and, and that's you know typically described as a negative yep. but. You know, in some instances, it's a positive because once you get that cash in and you put it someplace else, you can't touch it anymore, right? So it prevents you from doing something stupid. Yep, agreed. Um, The other thing is, is that, you know, it's it's a known that people will a lot of times panic with their emotions in a down market and will sell, so you know, stocks are down, what, 20, 25%. You know, there's probably people that will sell and then all of a sudden the market will go up and they'll be like, oh man, I wish I had held on, right? They don't have that option in these multifamily syndication deals because they lose control of when they get access to that liquidity. And I don't know about you, but I I can tell you for the, Assets that I was a part of, during COVID, when there was all this panic, I would bet you if if people could have sold their part of their investment or all of their investment, they would have taken a loss and gotten out. But they couldn't, so they wrote, wrote it out, and then all of a sudden valuations came back to fantastic levels, and they made a great profit. So I think that sometimes it can help them, you know, it, it can help the limited partner.
1: Yeah. So to your, your your earlier point, just I want to give a statistic from my personal finances, right? Yeah. So I've been in, in the industry for 30 plus years in the technology space. And like everybody, I've been investing in stocks, bonds and everything. Uh, literally for 25 years, I've been doing that. I got burned during 2008 crash and all that. Net-net, in 25 years, whatever I made on stocks, bonds, etc., including my 401k, I made that much of amount in last five years in real estate.
0: Wow. So, five years versus 25 years. Yes. So amount of
1: investment, in fact, uh, on real estate side, since I'm an active in- investor, it was, I can even say, smaller.
0: Right. The amount that, you, that year, the, year, of your capital, capital with, yeah. that was, was at risk. Yep. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Um, so talk to me about the investors. I'm sure you've had these conversations because almost everybody that's in the sponsorship world does. I'm going to get in your next deal. Yep. And then the next deal comes. Yep. And you know what? I'm not ready. I'm going to get into your next deal. And I'm not ready. I'm going to get into your next deal. And there's certain investors... They like what they hear in terms of the returns. Yep. But have a hard time pulling the trigger in terms of actually getting into the game, you know? So one, do you see that? And then two, you know, how do those conversations go?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So usually I try to compare with some other uh, item when I start talking to them. First thing, obviously the investment, I would say every investment bears risk. Even real estate also bears risk. Stocks, bonds, everything bears risk. Even though T-bills, they say that it's not risky. But I view it as some risk is involved in it. So that, I cleared them up in the first place. Second thing is companies are mostly, you're buying the share, and mostly on paper-based. Some of these services companies, they don't even own any assets, right? It's all uh, based on the service income you're paying it. Whereas here... On the other side, you're buying a real asset, like physical asset. And as everybody knows, the planet app size is the same and the livable space is the same, but population is growing. So the demand is growing and supply stays the same, right? So the, eventually the asset price has to appreciate. On the other side, if you go to stocks, bonds, et cetera, and stock side, like there could be another competitor who can have a better product and then wipe you out, right? Even though you, you feel that you invested in a good stock company, then tomorrow some competitor can wipe them out. We have seen Kodak, which had a great days, and, and, and then now Kodak is not a major player at all. Those kind of things can happen. Here, the real estate, uh, unless it's completely messed up, I, I have not seen property value go down over the years. right? So that is one thing I kind of analyze and compare with them. And the second uh, aspect is, right, um, investing big check, right, is usually uh, people get uh, carried away. So I say that a few of my friends bought Tesla cars when uh, they were out, like they paid top dollar, uh, and then uh, they enjoyed the ride. At the same time, I bought Tesla stock. (laughs) Right. Okay, now their Tesla car value is much lower. My Tesla stock is much higher. Since I'm an investor, it went up uh, same way like I invested in multifamily at the same time. So I got more money out of my real estate investment than the spend, money they spent. So if you are willing to buy so much and a car that is uh, not going to last forever, so why can't you invest here and then get some returns out of it and then take the money back. And at the time, whatever is fancy, you can buy it and then you save your principal,
0: yeah. Uh, I- I lo- I love that I, lo- I love that um, you know there's people that you know gas prices have come back down but last yep. year you know, you know gas prices were just taking off and and everybody was complaining about it and and I, and I was like you know look I don't like paying that much at the pump either but I'm glad that I, I bought ExxonMobil stock so yep. you know I was losing at the pump but I was winning. Yep. you know, with the valuation on on the stock, so you know, by owning assets, you yep. know, is is so key um, versus just putting your money away. Um, and the other, the other thing is, I don't think that people understand. They hear about inflation and they understand it from a food price standpoint, and they understand it from um, you know paying at the pump standpoint, but no. they can't get their head around. Okay, if I have or $100,000 in the bank, and there's 7% inflation, that next year you're really only going to be able to buy $93,000 worth of goods. Like you still have 100, but they're like, well, I still have 100,000. Yep. Yeah, but your purchasing power is going to be less. Yep. So you need to be involved with assets that will appreciate greater than inflation rate. That's um, it's something for a lot of people can't get their their head around, you know. Yep. Um, but I'm so glad that I did. I'm sure you're so glad that you did. Yeah, that's why we are
1: having a little laugh, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's it it's you know. I was I remember when I got involved. I went and met with a bunch of different people. I'm like, is this real? Yeah. You know? Is even is this real? the same.
1: I was like that too.
0: Yes. Is this real? Yes. And then you talk to a number of people and you're like, all right, you know, people, you never know when the the music's going to stop, you know, like everything's cyclical, like you said. Um, But if you look back 20, 30, 40 years, any real estate is worth more, but there's periods of one, you know, maybe one year, two year, three year periods that real estate could be in the dumper, you know? Um, so you need to be able to, to plan and ride that out to get to the other side. Um, so talk about some of the learning lessons, managing some of these properties, you know, whether I know that you said that you don't like to, to be the guy who manages the day to day, but I'm sure you've been involved with some properties that have had some challenges, um, some problems that you had to solve. And so you and your GP team had to get together and figure out a solution, you know, talk about one or two of those.
1: Sure, definitely. I mean, uh, in general, I don't do asset management, but I do have, like, I'm a major asset manager for uh, one property. Just I wanted to have that experience too. That's why I kept one for myself. And then others, I attend the calls whenever the time permits. Um, so that way I can learn from the asset management side it. So um, the les- learning lessons, okay, our first property is... Uh, uh, 96 unit. That one when we bought it, there were a whole bunch of units that were completely gutted down. So it's a deep value add. Um, that one, uh, the learning I last, uh, learned from um, the learnings I had from that one is um, it's a smaller city like uh, Wichita Falls it is in. So in Wichita Falls, um, I mean uh, population wise is hundred thousand. All kinds of trades, everything is available. But when we want to do some work we always had to source from other cities. So had we known that, uh, we would have planned better. So because we have to get professionals from other cities, so the project duration took much longer, even uh, the ones uh, which we thought that we could finish it in three to six months, it almost took a year. So we have to be prepared when you go into the secondary tertiary markets for those kind of activities. I I
0: think that that's a very good point. And I'm I'm in the middle of one of those right now. Like I knew that it was a smaller market and that there wasn't the the population growth that we have in, in the DFW area. But I definitely underestimated the fact that it's hard to find quality people. Yes in those in those markets, it's hard to find quality people um, to be your on-site yep. PC manager to be you know general contractors yep. um, you know everything every part of the the process that you need to bring other third parties involved with um, you either are giving up on quality and they're local or um, or you're having to, to bring people in from other cities yeah.
1: Yeah, uh, another learning is like when you want to do a capex item, right? Um, typically, we see that certain quotes we say, "Oh, this one looks reasonable," but I would say, uh, wet it out, get multiple quotes, and wet it out from uh, the vendor um, performance point of view." And sometimes uh, cheap doesn't mean the best, right? So you need to be very cognizant about that, they should be able to complete the project. So some people take the project by quoting the least and then they never finish it. So there's another learning lesson.
0: That, that's uh, a great point. And I think that points to networking also, is yep. that, you know, look, if you're, you're going to, you know, different multifamily conferences, you're meeting a bunch of different people. Some of those people are going to be investors that invest with you. But yep. some of them are other sponsors, you know, other people that are doing other deals. And if you all of a sudden have a relationship with them and you're in their market and you call them and say, hey, look, I got a quote from so-and-so and they're like, I would not do that deal. <laughs> I would not, I would not use that contractor. Like yep. that, that can save you a ton of heartache and a ton yep. of money for your property. Yep. Just that one phone call.
1: Yes, Yes, the relationships really help, the networking and all that, as you mentioned, It right, really, really plus us. Yeah, that's how we started working on any time we shortlist the vendor, then we see which other we use them and what kind of uh, uh, response they had with that vendor and are they satisfied or not. So we do that background check thoroughly nowadays. Yeah,
0: yeah that's huge. And And being part of the same multifamily mentorship group, that's one of the values of of being in a mentorship group is not only learning the process, but also meeting a lot of other people that are doing what you want to do, and then asking, like, who do you use for your attorneys? Who do you use for your property management company? Who do you use for GCs? Like, all of that, if you were to do it on your own, you know, you could pick the wrong person, and that can cost you a lot of money.
1: And a lot of time. Yeah, yeah. and also people think that I have this YouTube and I can do it and learn it, but it's not the same when you execute in a large scale, right? So you need to have the right uh, vendor and for the right job.
0: Absolutely. So. CapEx, um, tertiary markets, anything yeah. else um, to share on the? You know, on the yeah, side? another
1: thing is uh, so you, when you do some of this CapEx, right, always um, plan for some unknowns. So when you open a sheetrock, you get surprised sometimes. So there could be some uh, deferred maintenance type of things. So um, just by looking at outside and uh, you cannot simply guess like, okay, well, how much it is going to cost and all that. So always look for some extra buffer dollars when you do the capex items. And also from the management point of view, be on top of things always like uh, the KPIs, set up a KPIs and make sure that the property management companies definitely understand those KPIs and performing to those. So have you, it, you ever
0: had to change out your property management company of your properties? Uh,
1: we were in the verge of changing one, but it, like, it so happened that that company was bought over by another company at the same time, so we didn't change it. Gotcha. So, uh, yeah. Uh, but I, yes, uh, we have to be ready for that at any point in time if they, if they keep missing the KPIs. Yeah, yeah
0: and I, I had that situation and... You know, just to be frank, I was, I was like nervous. I was scared to change property management companies because it seems like such a big, yep. a big, big deal. And it is a big deal. Um, but I happened to be at a mastermind with a bunch of other, you know, multifamily, you know, owners, sponsors. And yep. the discussion came up and I just asked, like, how hard is it? And they're yep. like, you know what? If you're in your gut, you feel like you gotta do it, you just gotta pull off the band-aid. And yep. and I did it and I'm so glad. The the yep. performance of the property turned around and you know it 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 made a world of difference. And and it's another learning lesson they put in my back pocket, you know, yep. so that that's always an option. Is you know, you know, hopefully the any property management company that we work with is is doing what they need to, but, you know, knowing that you, you can still make a choice to yes. swap them out is, you know, gives you that confidence. Um, that yep. you're not kind of under there. Um, you know, you just feel a little helpless, you know, if you're not the, the property management company.
1: Yes. Uh, another thing I learned is like, uh, sometimes uh, we do all this, uh, due diligence and go with the property management company. And within the property management company, you have multiple regionals, right? Some regionals are really good. Regional managers are really good. So they perform really well. Um, but if we happen to have a bad one, so just speak it out and then t- take it to their senior management and get them replaced. That's what we do in the first one. So majority of the cases, that solves the problem for us. So this...
0: Yeah, so instead, of, that, that's another option is not, rather than... Swapping out the entire management company is is swapping out the personnel, you know. So if if you have somebody that's not as strong, not you know meeting the KPIs, then you can bring somebody else in from the company that that will will achieve those targets.
1: Yes, and uh, just to give a uh, bad context, right? Some of these managers are used to working at different class of properties, right? Uh, with all uh, fairness, right? They might be. For example, they might be working all along on a class A property, and then if we bring them to class B, they don't know how to manage the class B clientele, right? That creates a problem. Like they expect everything goes in auto mode, right? In class A, that's what happens. Everything is auto mode. So here they they expect that, and then uh, it's not going to work because in class B, class C, they have to constantly keep on calling the tenants for collections, right? Which may not be the case in class A. So those kind of small, small things will matter a lot. So we need to make sure that that particular property manager regional has a good exposure to that type of class of property.
0: That, that's a great point. I mean, it's a matter of does the property management company have, you know, a strong bandwidth in this market and then in this type of asset? Yes. You know? Because there's a big difference between A, B and C for sure.
1: Another minor item I want yeah. to emphasize is, again, you need to understand the demographics in that area. And let's say if it is a, a particular demographic, uh, population from a particular demographic, you try to bring in a manager who, who knows that culture, who can interact with them in that language and all. That's also an important uh, factor in in these properties. We make sure so that- So it may
0: be someplace where everybody speaks Spanish. Yeah.
1: That's what I meant to say. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And and so you have the on-site manager that speaks Spanish, yep. and they feel like, you know, they know her, and they, you know, it could be him too, him him or her, um, but they're part of their culture and they understand yep. them and they trust them.
1: Yes, yes. So we we take uh, that in that one seriously. <laughs> so in, when we hire the property manager, right, we tell them that do you know. Spanish, or you know the whatever other language people are from, and also we try to see if they are connected with the culture, like if they have uh, uh, like some festivals or events that they feel that are very important. The manager should understand that and accordingly plan an event for the tenants, so that way they feel that they're at home, right? So, end of the day, we need to give that comfort, home, and security. That's that's what matters, right? That brings more tenants and more revenue for us. Yeah,
0: yeah that's 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 huge. Um, I can't believe you have over eleven thousand units in th- in like three plus years. Yep. So, what's kind of the next big stretch goal for you? And you're you're going to try to do two thousand in 2023?
1: Yeah, two two thousand in 2023. And I started construction, also grown up construction. So, because I wanted to give choice to my investors. Some of them, uh, they don't care about uh, cash flow that much, they want more appreciation. So, and that, that's another reason I went into construction. So, in construction, classier properties, I can build at a very high cap rate. So, uh, that's one.
0: So, talk about the. The profile um, between buying an existing cash-flowing deal versus a ground-up construction, both from um, you know an investor profile perspective, you know cash flow perspective, and how the how the risks of the deal kind of change.
1: It should. Um- the construction, um, typically uh, there are, there's a lengthy process, like when you buy the complete raw land then you need to work on the zoning and then permits and then uh, planning and architecting and then eventually build it and uh, deliver the units. So usually we go in the middle, like we go for the zoned land. We Usually from agricultural zoning to commercial zoning is uh, a little challenging. That's why we buy the zoned land. So we minimize uh, some risk there. From that point onwards, still the construction projects are a little higher risk than uh, existing projects. But um, during the construction phase, uh, you may not get the cash flow. So until we start getting a few buildings and then start renting it out and we start getting income, we cannot distribute. Otherwise, uh, if we start distributing from day one, it's like taking from one side and giving it to the other side. Right, Right. So... so that is what happens. Existing one from day one, you can do the cash flow. Um, as far as the cap rate goes, the construction one, I can build a class A in a very good neighborhood at five and a half cap, or five cap. Um, whereas in class A, if you go to a good um, suburbs, right, nowadays um, you get it for three and a half to four cap, class A. It means you are paying premium. So, for building a new brand unit, we can build for one hundred and eighty thousand dollars a unit, Class A. But if you want to buy in the market, it can vary anywhere from two hundred fifty thousand dollars a unit to three hundred fifty thousand or four hundred thousand a unit. Um, so,
0: what will happen when those units come available? Because if you have nicer units, newer units that are have a lower cost basis. I yep. would think that that's going to put pressure on the rents for, you know, the the B's and C's. Is yeah, that- but
1: we, when we complete that, we try to be at par with the class Cs in the vicinity, right? So uh, that we we always compare with class A, even though our cost basis is low. So that gives us more profit. In other words, the uh, overall return is high. So in three years, we can double the investor return easily if the term, terms work. Whereas for an existing one, it may take almost five years to double the rate, investor return, unless the market is completely favorable to us. Yeah.
0: And on the construction side, um, what's the business plan? Is it just to lease it up and then sell it right away, or is it to operate it for a year or two? Because you know there are developers where their, their business plan is buy the raw land know, get it zoned, get all the the permits, and then, you know, build it, lease it up, and then they just want to be out and move on to the next deal. So, so are you building it and then also operating it for a period of time? So, uh, initial plan
1: when we launch it, it is like stabilize and sell. But for selective markets, we decided to refinance and continue to hold them because it's difficult to buy the property, classic property in this kind of markets so and for example we are building one in melissa so that kind of market right uh it's difficult to buy one right so we will we may refinance it because the first investor they want to they may want to exit the property right they want to see their return so we may refinance it and then get the market value and based on that uh, we'll form a second entity to take over from the first entity and then give the returns to the first investors and whoever wants to uh, uh, continue the journey with us. They can join in the second one, and then we will continue to hold like that. Exactly. We plan. So it all depends on project by project. It's not a common strategy
0: for us. Awesome, awesome. So, well, I applaud you. Uh, what, what do you like to do outside of work for fun? So I like road trips
1: a lot. I drive like crazy, like ten hours, eight hours, whatever the long <laughs> Road trips. Where I do you do. go? I I like nature. I go to different places and you know, all the national park type and well, beaches. Like,
0: give us some examples.
1: Yeah, for example, Yellowstone National Park I like yeah. Yosemite National Park I like. I go and spend time or go to um, places like Costa Rica where the nature is still <laughs> intact, right? So those, those kind of places I try to go and venture. At. It's
0: it's crazy that you know, like, look, we live in in the Dallas market and there's certain place I'm, I used to live I've been here like 11 or 12 years but I used to be in South Florida and then I was in I grew up in Connecticut all you know pretty heavily populated areas you were in New Jersey um when you get out to certain areas of the country you're like holy cow there's still a lot of land out here you know yep. so my my wife and I went up to Montana to go to Glacier National Park and we, we took uh-huh. our, our RV and we we're driving through Montana and it was like nothing, you know, for hours and after hours, after hours. And, and here we just see, you know, in Dallas, you just see more and more and more people moving in and it's just getting more and more crowded. Yep. So love that. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show. I appreciate you sharing. Um, you know, I, I definitely learned from you. I, I hadn't, I knew you were killing it, but I did not know that, You've done eleven thousand units in the last three plus years. That's crazy. Yep. Well, I applaud you for that. And um I'm sure you've made your investors some pretty good money over the over the last several years.
1: Yeah, thank thanks for having me on the show. It's always nice to chat with uh, you whenever we meet outside. I know, yeah, we, we have like nice conversation on different topics, right? So it's always absolutely, nice. Absolutely,
0: absolutely. So How do people get to know you? Um, They, you know, how do they get to know you better? um, Your website or, or, you know, where would you point them?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, My email address is Sridhar, my first name, at growwealth2retire.com. Growwealth2retire.com. Website is www.growwealth2retire.com.
0: Awesome. I will include that in the show notes also um, if if anybody uh, is looking to get that. And um, I would highly recommend you reaching out to Sridhar, a good guy and um, super successful. I did not realize that you were still working in W2, but it sounds like you have a plan to be be full time at some point um, here shortly. And uh, listeners, I hope you enjoyed that one. Until next week, signing off.
1: Thank you for listening to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show at darrenbatchelder.com. If you liked the episode, please provide us with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. If you already provided us with a five-star review, then thank you. And please share the show with a friend.